0: What's up, guys? Welcome to The Walk Show Podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin. So many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help out as food banks like Ozark's Food Harvest here in my town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. You can follow me on social media like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. All of those links are in the show notes for you. This week, we are joined by Derek Van Ness, founder of Big Life Financial. Big Life Financial is helping people unlock greater potential by helping them remove money as a barrier to their dreams. As Derek puts it in our conversation, when money is no longer an issue, life stops being about survival and becomes about impact and contribution. Derek shares some very interesting insights into his work and the financial world at large. I really enjoyed our conversation, so let's get over to it. Welcome to The Walk Show Podcast. Derek Van Ness. How are you doing tonight, Derek?
1: Fantastic, Walker. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So, Derek, your company is Big Life Financial. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Big Life Financial is doing?
1: Yeah. In a nutshell, what we do is we help people to keep more of the money they make and be smarter with it. And the big goal here is to uh, help people to get money out of the way so that you can live the life you're here to live, uh, do the work you're here to do, just be the human being that you're here to be. Because I feel like money keeps a lot of people from doing that. So our goal, we use specific uh, tax incentives, tax write-off strategies, and then also a lot of uh, growth strategies for, we teach people how to build their own banking system, how to invest in ways that are outside of the stock market that are much more powerful. And a whole host of other things to kind of help people create certainty around financial uh, their financial means so that they can really get to life. You know, once you, once you get the money out of the way, all of a sudden you uh, you approach things differently. It's not about survival. It's about impact. It's about contribution. So we want to help more people get there.
0: Yeah. So uh, to, to kind of understand who you're working with, uh, I guess my understanding coming into the conversation is that you're primarily working with small business owners and entrepreneurs. Is, is that, exclusively true or do you work with with just individuals as well or we do both um
1: the reason we focus on business owners honestly business owners have a ton of tax advantages they have a lot more control over their income uh in many cases they have a lot more assets to deploy and and move around so we can do more for them like if someone makes you know makes a bunch of money as, as a w-2 like they're really limited on what they can do uh tax-wise And so we can help those people and we can definitely help them on growth strategies, but taxes are like the biggest cost in your life. So, so we really love that we can come in and quite often help business owners get anywhere from 10 to a couple hundred thousand dollars back in taxes and just completely revolutionize where they're at financially uh, in a very short period of time. So that's just where we have the biggest impact, but we can work with anyone.
0: Right. Right. Well, so that's interesting. So, I, I mean, I guess what what is it? What is it? And maybe just a off the top example of one of these tax advantages that, that you can help people utilize.
1: You know, a huge one right now for a ton of our clients is helping them file for research and development credits. Mm. Like this sounds like something that only Microsoft or Amazon or these big companies can do, but the the reality of it is, uh, even small small uh, businesses like we work with small software companies, small. Doctors, dentists, chiropractors, anybody medical—we've done. I mean, I, I did a guy whose company—they're, I guess they're kind of pest control, but they just do. It's called bat remediation. Like they get bats out of people's attics and okay. all that kind of stuff. And a lot of these businesses are getting between fifteen and seventy-five thousand dollars back when we do a three-year look back and help them file for those credits. And they get to file for those credits every year moving forward. So, you know, it adds five to. 25 to 35, $45,000 a year to the bottom line with almost no extra work. Like that's just one example of something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I, yeah, I didn't mean for you to go through several anything, but just, just to get an idea of it. Um, so how did you, I mean, how did you kind of find yourself in this space? Did you come from an accounting background or are you a CPA or (laughs) how did you, how did you stumble into this?
1: You know, honestly, um, so I started off as a real estate investor. Uh, well, one step back from that. Out of school, I I was doing equipment financing. So I was kind of like being a mortgage broker for equipment, you know, for business owners. So I worked with a lot of business owners and I liked that, but I hated the grind, man. It was like 200 cold calls a day. This is back in the the late 90s and, you know, just tough, tough living, but I learned a lot. Uh, Then I went into flipping houses and that really allowed me to make some money and realize, oh, taxes are a problem investing money, like you kind of got to know what you're doing. And I made a bunch of mistakes and did a bunch of things right. But, uh, you know, started to realize that like, it's not just about making money. It's about keeping it. It's about being smart with it. It's about putting it to work for you. So I kind of, along with marketing kind of got obsessed with this idea of like optimizing money and, and keeping things working and figuring out how to not waste what I work so hard to make. And then when the housing crash happened in 2008, nine, 10, uh, I kind of found myself without an employment, you know, like what I was doing didn't exist for a couple of years because you could buy a house and fix it up. Just nobody could get a loan to buy it. (laughs) So I, uh, that's when I transitioned over to working with business owners. A friend of mine had a, had a firm and I went to work with them. And basically I didn't have to go find the clients. They just brought all the clients in and I Mm kind of got to see firsthand. We took them through like a 12 stage process of like money principles and then taking them through their taxes and through their, Uh, their insurances and through investments and estate planning and corporate entity structuring. And we taught something called sole purpose and business coaching. So I got to take them through all 12 of these stages and really see a couple thousand businesses over the six or seven years that I did that. And I just realized, like, I love teaching. I love learning. I love helping people. Um, And, you know, you learn a ton by just being with a a bunch of these business owners and seeing the realities that they're facing. So I kind of fell in love with it. I never would have thought I would have gotten into it. And then I'll be honest with you, once I broke away and started doing my own thing, we were really focused on helping people grow their money. We teach something called the the money maximization model. It's a version of something called the infinite banking system. And as uh, it's like kind of a baseline for people, that was where I started. But I just realized like taxes are just killing so many of my clients. Mm. So over the last couple of years, I've gotten really good at, I'm not a CPA, but like at Tax strategy, identifying like all these opportunities where we can bring in a CPA and say, hey, why aren't you doing this? What about this? If We just structure this a little bit different. If we invest in these things, we can get write-offs. There's just so much stuff out there that, uh, honestly, most CPAs are good recorders, but they they aren't that good at strategy. So when we bring our strategy and then we've got them in the trenches, we can... We can help people to get really good results it just became so important that i kind of started geeking out on taxes kind of by accident
0: yeah yeah it's interesting you the point you make about the 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 cpa being and again i mean that's what i asked you right are you a, are you a cpa or something right like so it's sure. that's the profession that people um or certainly me at least associate with with tax strategy i guess Mm -hmm. Um, but to your point, that's not really what their role is in the same way. You know, you mentioned real estate investing that a realtor isn't really a real estate investor, right? I mean, they're in the space, but they're not, (laughs) they're not in that same space at all.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely know. Uh, I was a real estate investor. I did probably 150 properties and like realtors would look me straight in the face and say, you can't do what you're doing. And I'm like, (laughs) I've got a dozen of them going right now. They're like, you can't find a property that cheap, or you can't negotiate those kind of terms and nobody will ever go for it. And I'm like, yeah, I've only got 10 of them to prove it. And that's in the last three months. (laughs) Right. So, and, and what we do with, uh, with the whole infinite banking thing, it's the same thing. It's like creative life insurance, like a way to use life insurance to create your own banking system. And people think life insurance is for when you die. And we totally teach people how to create it as an incredible tool while you're alive. So it's just uh, getting below the surface, right? There's a bunch of like, basic stuff. Anybody who's ever been really good at something, like another thing I'm really good at, and anybody who out there who's a dancer will relate with this, is like, I've, I got a dance minor in college, and I do competitive swing dancing, and I did competitive ballroom dancing. When I watch dancing in the movies, it's like the surface version of it. Like, it's terrible. It's not even the real dance. They're like, oh, you're going to do a waltz, and they're dancing to 4-4 four, four time, and anybody who knows anything about waltzes knows 3-4 time. Like, it's <laughs> right. just... It's just ridiculous. It'd be like if you knew about music and they're like, oh yeah, we're going to play some country music and they play hip hop. And you're like, that's not right. 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 So it's the same thing in the financial world. So much of people, the bar is so low for most people on their awareness about how money works and about how taxes work. Mm-hmm. So they're afraid like if I get into taxes, what if I get audited? It's like, okay, so just overpay $50,000 a year, every year for the rest of your life because you're afraid you might get audited one day even when you're doing it right. It's like, is it really worth it? No, you go, you use the tax code, you do it the right way. And if you get audited, you did it right anyway. So there's no big deal. And you got to keep the 50 grand a year.
0: Yeah, that's something that I, uh, I mean, it's been several years ago now, I guess. But, you know, to the the layman, which I very much am in all of the things that we're talking about right now, but to the layman, yeah, if someone's going to help you with your taxes, it's like, oh, they're going to find a way that you can like, cut a corner or i don't want to use i mean maybe not cheat outright but you know basically right like bend the rules in some way yeah really the tax code is written to incentivize certain behaviors at least in some cases not that it's 100 percent, but yeah so anyway maybe elaborate on that a bit because i don't think that's something that people think about when they think about the way tax codes are written
1: yeah i mean truly this is my perspective the government uses taxes to get you to do what they want you to do. They're like, hey, you buy a house, we'll give you some tax breaks. You know why? Because when people buy houses, they take care of stuff. They watch out for their neighborhood. They're more stable. They stay in jobs and they work hard because they want to keep that house. You get have kids, they give you tax breaks. Why? Because people don't go out carousing and causing trouble and, and all these other things. They stay at jobs. They become stable. They become good citizens and good models to their kids. They give business owners breaks because business owners start new jobs, make more revenue, pay more taxes, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with the, like we do the R and D tax credits and stuff. They want you to experiment, try new stuff. They know you're going to screw some stuff up and lose some money. So they're willing to give you a little bit of a, you know, pat on the back, a little bit of money back. for trying those things. So it's really with the tax code. It's not about cutting a corner. There's no such thing. You either can do it or you can't. Where it gets gray area is when you don't document it or you say you're doing something that you're not doing. Oh, I did this thing and I'm going to write it off. And it's like, well, but you didn't do that thing. So that (laughs) is not correct. And we really teach people the key to tax strategy is being proactive. Mm. Think Think ahead and say, you know, what are the things I want to do with my life or I'm going to do with my business or my house or whatever? And how do I make those align with what the government wants me to do tax code wise? And now I can do what I want. And I can get a tax write off or a tax benefit or a tax advantage from that or an incentive. um, Because I aligned the way that I did it with the way that they want me to do it. And in most cases, they're the same thing. It's just documentation and kind of checking the boxes as you go. It's, it's really simple. But if you don't know anything about it, it's, it's hard to do you and you can't do it at the end of the year.
0: Right, right. As with all things, right? If you don't know anything about it, it seems overwhelming, but (laughs) that doesn't mean that it inherently is. Um, So, you know, obviously you talked about real estate a bit. What is your opinion then on, and again, I don't really know, I don't know if this is really relative for businesses in the same way, but for individuals, the most common way that people want to save wealth for retirement things is through the stock market, whether that be 401ks or IRAs or just outright investing, um, yeah. what, what's your take on that?
1: Well, it depends on who you are. So I'll give you my, people are going to hate me for this, but I generally think that qualified plans, 401k IRAs, IRAs, I think they're not the greatest thing. I just don't think they're good, especially for my clients. Business owners, to separate a business owner from their cash is a terrible thing. Business mm-hmm. owners can use their money way more effective than than Wall Street. Having said that, Saving money into an IRA or 401k is light years better than not saving at all, right? The one thing that those things have built in, and I'll just tell you this straight up, the difference between people who become wealthy and do well financially and the people who don't is one simple thing. And this is going to sound overly simple, but it's just this. They have systematized saving money somewhere.
0: Mm.
1: Even if you just take 10% or 20% out of your every check and put it in a savings account, which is... Not really a great place to save, right? But if you just did that, you get richer every month. Sure, there's, there's inflation, there's some other things, and we can talk about that because inflation's insane right now and people don't realize it. Right. But no, I heard this statistic and this blew my mind. Only a couple hours ago, so I'm still processing. The statistic I heard from a very reliable source that I trust was that there are currently 40% more dollars in our system circulating right now than there were one year ago.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Forty (laughs) percent. Like, just think about that. Like, all the money in our whole country, and every dollar that existed. Now there's forty percent more. It's like so much money, and we wonder why. Like the stock. You know why the stock market's up, even though the economy crashed. Everybody's got money to put in it. You know why real estate prices are screaming through the roof right now. Like I was looking at houses. Just uh, to, we're we're under contract in a house right now. But the area we bought it in, houses went up twenty percent last quarter. Yeah, twenty percent. So if it was four, if it was a five hundred thousand dollar house in September, in December it was a six hundred thousand dollar house. Like yeah, that's how much things went up. It's, it's obscene. It's just crazy what's going on, and it's because there's so much money. I work with business owners every day, and with all these PPP loans and all the SBA loans and all the stimulus checks, like the most common conversation I have with people is they're like, I have a couple hundred thousand extra dollars sitting around. I don't know what to do with it. Like I got it for this PPP. It paid my employees for four months. Our business really didn't take a hit. So we got all this extra money. What do I do with it? Like that conversation happens five times a week for me. Wow. It, and prior to COVID it never, it never happened.
0: Well, and that's, you know, but to some extent, and I might be going off the rails a little bit here, but to some extent, is it not still all tied really to 2008 to the the first financial crisis i mean not the first but <laughs> right the, right the the one the first one of this millennium or whatever but um just because we had what the stock market crashing away to i think that and i'm being very very vague here but i think the dow was like 8000 or something and again i know that's only one one tiny measurement but sure. but that in in 2016, 2017, it's like twenty four thousand. It's worth three times what it was worth when it crashed. And it's like, do we really think that all that the the, the marketplace is producing three times the value that it was before? I, I just don't. I don't know. I, it, to, and to me, it's a product of the stimulus that, that happened as a result of two thousand eight, and people aren't really acknowledging that. And then to hear <laughs> to hear forty percent increase in a year, I mean, it's just mind boggling. Um, it
1: it it really is and so the bottom line is i think the printing press started back in 2008 they kind of opened up this this whole you know monetary injection of money type of type quantitative (laughs) easing yeah (laughs) quantitative easing is actually the i think that's the lowering of the interest rate right and then they i Mm. forget what the other term is uh It's (laughs) eluding me right now, but basically the printing of more money, the infusion of cash into the marketplace. And that started and they never really stopped it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it kept going, they kind of slowed it down, I think a little bit. And then obviously if just to put it in perspective, the entire debt of our country was like $20 trillion, right. Up until the beginning of this year. And they've basically with these two stimuluses, it's been another 5 trillion. So that's 20% of, um, yeah, 25% of the entirety of our entire nation's debt happened this year. That's crazy. And all of that went as cash into the economy. So chances are real good. It looks like inflation's coming. You know, and I don't want to like, I haven't done all the math on this because it's happening so fast, but like, I've, I've heard some really reputable people like the the COO of Bridgewater is on record saying that cash has lost 15% value this year, right? In the past year, it's gone down. What it can purchase has gone down 15%. And that's not including the new stimulus we just got. All that money hasn't even been deployed yet. That's still still left from last April. So there's some major stuff going on. I just did a video on this about, you know, about this on my YouTube channel uh, things like the meteoric rise of Bitcoin, you know, it's gone up 340% this year, which is unbelievable.
0: You know, really in the last like three months that it went from like 10 or 15 to, I think it's like 45 today when we're recording here in February.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it's really interesting. I did a whole 30 minute, 20, well, 21 minute video on Bitcoin too, because there is a ton of things going on there. It's, it's crazy that, uh, all this stuff is happening it's happening really fast. And I think people who aren't paying attention are going to get hurt. And I I hate to say this because I don't want to be like doom and gloom for people. But the truth is the divide between the rich and the poor is becoming greater. Because if you own assets right now, like if you own a house, it's going to go up in value quite a bit. If you own stocks, they're going up in value quite a bit. And other types of assets, if you just, you're living paycheck to paycheck You might get a raise just to kind of keep up with cost of living but you're not getting to ride that inflation curve now the flip side to that is people who are in debt good news your debt's getting cheaper because the dollars are worth less so silver lining if you're broken in debt at least your debt's getting cheaper so you are you are winning on that side but the people who've got we're kind of middle america have a little bit of cash but not a lot of their assets they're not they're not on the train they're not on this wave that's going through. And if you can catch that wave, just like a surfer, you get to carry that all the way to shore. And if you don't, you're just out there swimming for your life. It's definitely happening right now. And people may not realize it, but when they look back, this is going to be really, really big. And then at some point, you know, there's going to, we're going to have to pay the piper for all this, right? Like there's been a ton of stuff that's been artificially artificially propped up and, and supported through all this. And at some point, Government's going to have to stop, or if they don't stop, we just turn into Venezuela, right? And, right. And you, yeah. You got massive inflation, and dollars aren't worth anything. You're, you know, you better, better, better be a farmer or something so you have food.
0: Before you were talking about um, I, helping people identify strategies within within their taxes, and when I say people, businesses largely, but anyway, identifying tax strategies, but that's really to 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 keep more of their cash. Yeah, but as when we're you just do talking, something with it, yeah, yeah. So that's what I was going to ask. I mean, so if 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 Wall Street's a bubble, <laughs> if real estate's in a bubble again, if cryptocurrencies in a bubble, like where are you where does a person put? their their cash that they've saved from the taxes
1: <laughs> so this is the thing though it's a bubble but it's but it's not as much of a bubble as it appears mm. because of the inflation right the inflation's pushing it so even though the stock market's up 16 percent, well your dollars are down 15 percent. so it's a break even right gotcha. so it looks like so i'm not saying there's not a bubble because there was a bubble before right even last year i believe like when you look at like the returns companies were getting and what was happening with their stocks. Essentially, what happened for people who haven't been paying attention was 2017, we had the, tr- the Trump tax rewrite. It gave all these companies uh, a tax break. And so all that money, theoretically, that they saved in taxes was going to go into growth and research and development and building their businesses, right? Well, they said, no, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to use it to buy our own stock back. So <laughs> most of them artificially propped up their stock price, a lot of them, the airlines were apparently the worst just taking all that extra cash and buying all their own stocks back. They didn't have any cash. COVID comes along. Now we're bailing them out. And it's like, I mean, you want to say like, let them burn, right? Because they screwed themselves. But the reality is like, to me, aircraft, you know, the airports and the the airline industries are vital infrastructure. So you kind of got to save them, but like cruise ships or whatever. Okay. Like, I know that sucks. They're going to just have to start over. I'm not saying cruise ships were doing that. I know the airlines were though. It's just, they happen to be like the banks, right? We can't let all the banks fail in 2008 or the entire world goes into a global recession. So we got to prop them back up. And thankfully they were able to take all that money and go make more money and pay the government back. So it ended up working out. But you know, a lot of times these guys just don't have, they don't suffer the consequences, but Long story short, that created a bubble in my mind. The returns weren't there to justify the prices, the way that they were going. Then we have COVID come along. We have a little bit of a crash that kind of bought some time, but then everybody got their stimulus checks, stuck them in the market, turned it around. And As soon as it started to go back up, everybody was like, oh my gosh, this is my chance to buy low and get it to go up. <laughs> so Everybody jumped in and it all kind of created this self-fulfilling prophecy. But I do think all that extra money that's getting pumped in is, is helping that. But because there's more dollars out there, the growth isn't as much as it, as it seems as far as net purchasing power. So you got like all these, these weird things. Like an easy way to think of it is your computer that you're looking at right now. Maybe you bought it in the last two or three years. It's kind of the same price as it was 15 years ago. Mm. Right? Like computers have kind of been in that low end, 600 $700, high end, $2,000, unless you're buying a Mac or like something super fancy. They've kind of been in that thousand yeah. to fifteen hundred dollar range for 10 or 15 years. Well, do you think that computers didn't go up in price? Of course they did, but the ability to manufacture them cheaper has brought the price way down. So the inflation's pushing that up, which is kind of a normal thing. But technology is offsetting that with the ability to to um manufacture things cheaper. So a lot of goods and services that we haven't seen a lot of prices in has kind of disguised that whole um that whole process of inflation right. happening so it's it's really weird you have innovation bringing prices down but inflation pushing it up so it's just kind of staying level and you think it's just not moving but the truth is it's being pulled from both
0: sides mm. does that make sense it does it does yeah which will and i mean it's not directly the same thing but it's i mean it, it's to the both sides you were talking about before where the <laughs> the haves are having more and the have-nots are having less right i mean it's that same that same mm-hmm. tension Will um on the opposite yep. side. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's why they're calling it a K-shaped recovery right now. Some people are going up and other people are going down, depending on ah. which part of the K is. So there's like twenty percent of the economy is just decimated, right? Hotels, movie theaters, yeah. gyms, all those kind of service businesses. And then there's a bunch of other businesses that are doing normal or or better. All the tech companies, all the home improvement, all the construction. All the mortgage and lending and realtors and all that kind of stuff is i mean a lot of my clients had their best year ever last year
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> well with 40 percent more dollars in the <laughs> seriously in, in, in the country why not right huh yeah yeah so if a, a company says you know what i need i need to to figure out how to how to better manage my money i'm going to call derek Mm-hmm. what does that process look like? I mean, how do, the, and I, I guess more than just that question, I'm also curious, are you working with, I mean, cause earlier you mentioned a, a bat remediation company, which I'd never <laughs> heard of until this conversation. Me neither. Well, so, yeah. so that's a, that's my, I guess my point then, or my thought is it sounds like you're able to apply the strategy that you've developed and, and the way at least, or maybe the broader way of thinking that you have about it to just about any industry. It's not, really specific to one type of business or another. Is that, is that accurate?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's some tax strategies that are industry specific, but when we're talking about general financial principles, you can kind of apply, apply that to anybody's situation. And a lot of it depends on where are you now and where do you want to go and what, what's happening with your current cash flow. Do you have a lot of debt? Do you have a lot of money? What are you trying to accomplish? Generally when people are investing, they're, they're investing for one of three reasons, either growth, Cash flow, like something that kicks off money, or tax advantages, right? And so the question is, are you trying to grow your money? Like the stock market would be growth. Unless you're buying dividend paying stocks, it doesn't pay you a monthly income. Mm -hmm. Rental properties, on the flip side, there's a lot of places that rental properties won't go up in value, but they create cash flow, right? So there's not a lot of growth, but there's cash flow. And of course, there are places you could do both, you know, things that go up and pay cash flow. Uh, and then there's tax. Once you get into those higher tax brackets, investing in things because you get a tax break supercharges the re- return on investment, right? Technically, it's tax savings, not ROI, but the net effect is more money in your bank account. Right. So, so, really, what is the client trying to uh, accomplish? So, my first conversation with People Walker is just like, who are you? What are you up to? What's important to you? Where are you going? Where are you at in life? Because if you're 25, it's totally different than if you're 45 or 65. Uh, if you've got kids going to college, are you worried about retirement? Are you trying to start your own business? Like, what what do you want to do? And mm-hmm. then we kind of look at what strategies are appropriate with that. I have something I call the stairway to wealth. that so we kind of like check the boxes because you going and putting money into the stock market might seem like a good idea. But if you've got credit cards at 29% interest, you should probably pay those off first because that's right. a pretty that's a pretty high rate of return to try and beat.
0: Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs>
1: It seems silly, but can I just tell you how many people are maxing out their four hundred one k and maxing out their credit cards, and their credit cards are costing them twenty plus percent, and their four hundred one k is
0: getting seven. Right. Why would you do that? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it, it's a it's a fascinating trap that people find themselves in with that. Um, I I was fortunate enough when I was eighteen to to get a job at a credit card call center,
2: <laughs> yeah. so
0: I got to learn from the credit card company how it works and how they think about it and you know what incentives they're they're trying to drive from the business side of it and Mm -hmm. uh, not that I've become some (laughs) sophisticated banking person or something as a result of that but just simply I I understood how to avoid at least some of the more dangerous uh traps that (laughs) that lay there but that's not the case for a lot of people and it, it it's it's funny I always said with credit cards at least when it comes to individuals again like if there was a guy like in your neighborhood offering the same terms that a credit card company was offering, like most people would be like, I'm not doing business with that guy. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. credit card company packages it in this tiny little fine print thing and no one reads it. And so then everyone's good with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I know it's, it's one of those things where like familiarity breeds uh lack of caution, I guess it's kind of like the most dangerous thing you can do is drive a car right? Statistically, but we do it all the time. So we aren't that worried about it. If everybody's using credit cards all the time, they just don't realize the danger of that. So like I have a really simple rule around debt in general, and it's this, do not go into debt unless whatever you're buying is going to make you more than it costs you, Mm. right? So the only, the main exception to that might be a house because it's hard to buy, you you don't want to buy a house cash. Don't do the Dave Ramsey. It's just total... (laughs) Yeah, it's a bad idea. But, um, but outside of that, and the thing with houses is you have to have a place to live, so it's an expense no matter what you do. So right. you may as well borrow the money versus just dumping it into the void of rent. My rule there is if you're going to live in a place for more than five, six years, it probably makes sense to buy. If you're going to be moving around, rental, renting's fine. You know, there's, there's no big deal there. But outside of that, if you're going to put it on a credit card, it better be something that's going to allow you to make more money more training, better relationship, uh, something that's going to move you up the ladder and make you more than it costs you. Uh, otherwise, don't do it. If you're buying a TV or you're buying a fancy microphone for your podcast or whatever, if it's not going to make you money, you're just doing it for fun, pay cash. Right. Don't, don't do it. Don't go into debt for that kind of stuff. Consumptive behavior and debt are a really, really bad combination.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I have a lot of... Um... Personal development coach type people on, on the show, and and the, the the two things I've had this conversation somewhat recently, even. But the two things that seem to be maybe the uh, the most is probably too strong of language, but whatever. Very very important to uh, a happy life, not even success by some arbitrary measure, but just like where you wake up and feel good about your life generally uh-huh. is mental health, and and, and not just like do you have depression, or anxiety, but just understanding how to, how to think about yourself and how to think about the world and all of this. And then financial education. And those two things are not taught in our actual education system at all. I mean, maybe at the university level in some, you know, in some areas, but generally those things are not really hammered home <laughs> in the way that Christopher Columbus was right.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's funny to me, the three things they don't teach in schools. Well, I like to think of it this way. What are the three most important things in your life? And I'm going to take religion out of here for just a minute, right? Because you can't sure. teach that in schools. But uh, your money, probably third. And then your relationships and your health. What do we not teach? Money, relationships, and health, right? right. We teach people well, like a quarter, maybe a semester of health so that the kids know you know about the birds and the bees. Mm-hmm. We teach people how to count money, and sometimes we make them work in groups and that's your relationship training, right? Right. Like that's, that's it. Like, but those are the three most important things in your life. I can tell you right now, having had, having been a millionaire and having been dead, dead, dead broke. If you have your relationships and your health, you can be completely happy even without money. And if you don't have those things, life pretty much sucks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: that's just from personal experience. I can just tell you without a shadow of a doubt so get those right. Obviously, money makes things so much easier. Having money is way better than not having it. But it, it doesn't change you. It doesn't make you a better or worse person. Money's a magnifying glass. If you're a jerk, and you got money, you can be a bigger jerk. If you're generous, you can be more generous. If you want to have an impact, you can have a bigger impact. For the positive or the negative, money doesn't make you what you are. Um, it just magnifies it. So. I think people who think that, you know, I'll be a better person, I'll be happier, I'll be all these other things when I have money, after about after survival level, $60,000, the studies show there's no correlation between money and happiness. So, it ain't the answer going inside, taking responsibility for your own life, that's the answer. And guess what? It's not easy. I don't care who you are. For your life to get better, you got to change, and if you got to change, it's going to be uncomfortable. Welcome to the game.
0: Yeah, well, and and I think, you know, um just quickly, I'll ask you to, to talk about it because it, I think this is kind of what you're offering through Big Life Financial, and that is that it is hard and it is there is a lot to consider. And just about every person that I've encountered that is, again, successful by whatever standard you wanna use, um, they use a mentor, right? They have someone else who's there to help them along the way. I mean, I had a guy who does yeah. a wilderness outdoor adolescent therapy program. And yeah. he was talking about that. I was like, "Is is important change coming from people being uncomfortable and having to kind of deal with how to get through that discomfort?" And he said, "I mean, yeah, I think so. But you know, for me, every time I've made a big change, it's been with a mentor too. Um, so anyway, I mean, yeah is 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 that how you see Big Life Financial is is offering a mentorship to people?
1: Kind of. I think it's a it's a structure, right? Mm. We have we have a structure of like." Do this first, do this second, do this third. Not that everybody falls exactly on that and, you know, different things apply, but there's a framework you can work within instead of just like flailing, right? So it's a bit like opening up a coloring book and being able to color instead of somebody giving you a blank page and saying, okay, draw. Right. Right? You've got a framework to work from and uh, someone to talk you through and help you to not make some of the mistakes you could make. But the big thing is most people, if they know what to do, they'll do it. You know, they can do it. Uh, there are some things, you know, when we're talking about, and, and truly I'll be honest with you, like Walker, most of my clients are not super neck deep in debt and all that kind of stuff. They're coming to me because, Hey, we're making money. We just feel like we're on the financial treadmill. Bunch of right. money comes in $25,000 a month comes in 25,000 goes out. Like where did it all go and how do we fix that? Right. And then how do we start deploying that money in a way where we don't have to be on the treadmill all the time for the money to grow. Right. So, and there's a couple of intermediary steps in there, teaching people how to save, teaching people awareness of where they're at with their finances. Um, and then from there, where do you save it? How does it grow? How do you utilize what it turns into? That kind of thing. So, yeah, so I'm not like the world's best go deep into debt with people and help them pull it out. Cause sometimes, I mean, I have worked with some employees who are on a limited salary and they're deep in debt. And it's just a really, it's a really tough place for those people. Um, there are ways out of it, but it takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of time. The best way out of debt, in my opinion, increase your skill set. That's the key. Increase skill set and relationships. Your skill set plus your relationships equals your financial money, like the amount you can make. So if you're in a really tough spot, you're not making enough money, it's not even a spending problem, it's just you just don't make enough, spend some time to work on your skill set. What, what can you learn that will move you up the ladder? Get you a better job, you know. Help you do a side hustle, whatever that is. Focus on that first. Get that, you know, chipped away, um, move, moving up the ladder and and making more money. And then, as you make more money, you can save more. As you save more, you can invest more. As you invest more, you can create more income that way. And then you can do it all again, right? But it's really it really starts with your skill set and your relationships.
0: Awesome. Now that's, that's really succinct. And and yeah, that, that, that's, that's a, that's a good, a good, a good place to end, I think. So um, Derek, you, you've got big, biglifefinancial.com. Obviously people can go there. You mentioned a YouTube channel earlier. I'll be sure to have links in those show notes, but uh, just people who are listening, is there anywhere else you'd like to to direct people to, to find you at?
1: You know, I think those are the two best places. If you have questions, um, whether it's the research and development credits or whatever, if you just go to biglifefinancial.com, up in the corner there's a button that says work with us. You can click on that, you can set an appointment, and we'll, you know, we'll get together and talk and I'll find out a little about you and where you're at in life and what you want to accomplish. And if we can help, then we definitely, you know, we'll talk about that and and figure out the right strategy
0: for that. Awesome. Well, again, uh, thank you so much for your time this evening, Derek. It's been a real pleasure. Derek Van Ness with Big Life Financial. Thanks again.
2: Head in a monster growing tall a nurse with a quivering lip and scared of the mirror on the wall a rash aggression being
0: All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much again to Derek Van Ness for stopping by. BigLifeFinancial.com is the website. You can find that in the show notes. Of course, also thank you to Misha for providing the music. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening to the show. I'd also encourage you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by me and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games where we really try and talk about why gaming matters. Pick Up Your Sticks is available on all podcast platforms, so check it out. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.